His name is Heston Blumenthal. He is one of the most creative and inventive chefs to ever brandish a frying pan and has too many Michelin stars to count on one hand. My name is Jay Taylor. I have no Michelin stars and rarely brandish a frying pan, but I have been lucky enough to make Heston's TV shows for 15 years and now get to host his podcast, where we delve inside his massive foodie mind. And today is all about indulging one of Christmas's greatest treats, the box of chocolates. So sit back, crack open that nice tin you were going to give your mother-in-law and let Heston take us on a journey to the centre of food. Hello, Heston. A very Merry Christmas to you, sir. To you too, Jay. And you, James. Oh, Merry Christmas, guys. Happy Christmas. Yes, James is here to keep our facts in line, as always. Merry Christmas, Merry James. Christmas. I just when you said to give your mother-in-law that that uh, that tin <laughs> of the chocolate box, it might be that you didn't say whether it was this year's tin or last year's <laughs> tin. Whether it's full, empty, or just full of the chocolates that you know people kind of pick up and go... Uh, and put back in. That's a good idea. You could do that, couldn't you? You could make a Christmas tin of all the ones everyone doesn't eat each year. I had a friend as a, as a, as a, God, as a kid, and we used to go occasionally see his nan, and she would literally have a tin full of the uh, tough cho- toffee ones, but she'd taken a bite of, but couldn't eat them, but put them back in the box. <laughs> oh, did she wrap them back up again, I wonder? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so today we are going to be opening up a brilliant box of chocolates. But before that, Heston, I haven't had a chance to speak to you since you have been doing TV stuff and not in English, or not all of it in English. You've been on um, Top Chef in France. How'd it go? Uh, I think it went well. It was hard. It was hard, mainly because I had to speak French. And that brings with it all sorts of potential nightmare situations so i can say um i can run through a standard recipe in french so you know anything from couper le poisson and robe avec le sauce ajoute les légumes et serve that's basically cut some fish pour the sauce over add the vegetables and serve but when oui. we start talking about the stuff that we talk about and our emotional connection and relationship with food and emotional seasoning and all of this stuff oh, it starts to get difficult. And there's some words in French. So, for example, if you say in English, this is really exciting. So the French translation is either excité, uh, excitant. Now, it's a bit better nowadays than it was in the past, but there are many people that the first association they make with that, um, with that phrase is sexually excited. So imagine I go on, I go on Top Chef. Uh, Top Chef is by far the biggest food show in France. There are four groups of people. Each group is mentored by a very highly rated Michelin-starred, one, two or three-starred chef and a couple of very big TV personalities in, in, um, in France. Then what they do, each show, they bring three, three Michelin star chefs on, roughly, three of them, and they set a challenge. And when they come on, they, they just throw Michelin stars at this, at this, at this show. <laughs> uh, it's a two-hour show. It's huge, absolutely huge. So I am um, just being an English chef is an oxymoron or paradox. It's like oil and water. They just don't mix. To a French person, an English chef, it just, it, it just doesn't, it's not, it's not possible. But I was inspired by, by um, an experience I had in France. I embraced French gastronomy. I went through all the fundamental um, 
foundation nuts and bolts of French cooking and unknowingly changed the world of gastronomy. So all of this stuff is going to be a shock to France. So for me, they approached, they approached me to do this. I thought it, it's, a, it's a fantastic opportunity to just sort of, you know, just I'm proud to be British. And, um, you know, to, to, to do the sort of Napoleon Wellington thing, but with a bit of a hug. But could have gone horribly wrong. So there were, there, we've, we've just had a, we've had, a, it was a few days, long days, but they were made longer by me having to deliver it in, in French. All the judges have earpieces. At some point I had the presenter, who's like the biggest TV presenter in France. I think he does Strictly Come Dancing, their French version, bigger radio show. So I've got him talking to me. I've got a French chef talking to me in French. And then I've got a very lovely lady talking to me, um, it, it, just trying to help me in English. So then I had three languages. Oh, my word. Oh, my God. But, Sounds We've, like the worst kind of nightmare from when you were doing your French oral exams at school. It just yeah. sounds like hideous. <clears throat> and, and, and the place, yeah, we went back to the, the restaurant that inspired me to cook in this incredible place. And I'm standing there. So they turned this amazing place. There was 100 people in, um, in the crew, in the film crew. Everything was lit. The, the Beaumaniere, that's this restaurant, was closed. And I'm standing there, sort of controlling this challenge. I thought, never. Never, never did would I have realised I would be doing this on so many levels. So it doesn't come out till March. So I'll have to wait and see. But fingers crossed. I mean, James, James, James is the TV expert. So his opinion. What do you think, James? Are they going to dub over him with like an actor's voice? I'd like to think so. Yes, maybe a a soft, maybe slightly higher pitched tone, something like that. (laughs) Dulcet voiced Frenchman. I don't know, yes. Alan Delon will come back from the dead. One of the mentors said to me, and I thought he was taking the piss, said, When you speak for, I said, Excuse me, excuse my French, I'm I'm, I'm trying, but excuse my French. He said, Ah, it's very, very charming. I thought, No one has ever said that about my voice, my accent, ever. So I thought he yeah, was taking it. Yeah, could it be charming in that way when people are a bit thick? It's like, yeah, oh, and then laughing behind your back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I think that's very impressive. I'm very impressed. Well done for doing that. We did that. And then also the biggest food show in the world, basically. Biggest cooking competition in the world, Australian MasterChef, which I've done for 10 or 12 years. But that was, we fin- that was the day after we finished this grueling week. We, we had a film crew come to France and we did a remote MasterChef Australia challenge. Oh, cool. So I think it was five o'clock in the morning. It was sort of eight o'clock or so at night here. A remote setting the challenge. I can't believe, I cannot believe I did something that and actually makes my toes curl. I would love to be able to sing. I can't sing to save my life. I, I'm, <laughs> I believe everyone can. It's just a level of confidence. So... When you do the countdown, 10 minutes to go, 20 minutes to go, what, what, what we've all the presenters did over the years was if you found a dodgy pun, you put it into the, into the countdown. So for one of them was, you know, I say question everything. Question everything. But there's one thing that there's no question about. 10 minutes to go. 10 minutes to go. So they asked me to say this, use a pun which is, don't go baking my heart. So I actually tried to sing the, do that line, don't go baking my heart, like in a loud voice. Um, 
token. There you go. So we'll see. That's anyway, gonna put, was... that's going to put the figures up. Everyone's going to be tuning in to see that now. I am. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We've had some interesting correspondence coming in. So uh, a few weeks ago, we did our dunking biscuit episode which was really good i do urge if you're listening go back and find that because we do open up the whole debate about dunking biscuits but one of the questions that came out of it to our wonderful listeners out there is what kind of dunking experiences people have beyond the borders of the british isles we wanted to find out what goes on out there in the wider world and we've had some people getting in touch so i've got some things to read out to you a couple of them first one was from martin hodge now he's a double expat didn't even know that was a thing so he's an englishman in scotland and then in cyprus and he says crikey that podcast brought back some memories i'd completely Mm. forgotten dunking chocolate club biscuits into cold orange squash on hot summer's day by the river 50 odd years ago Ah. sounds all kind of wrong or working on site in There's northeast no wrong of Scotland. food. <laughs> this definitely is. Uh, or working on site in the northeast of Scotland some ten years later, in the middle of winter, with a cup of unsweetened tea and a roast beef sandwich. Okay, not a biscuit, he says, but from two workshop vending machines. This is painting a pretty grim picture in the middle of a Scottish winter from with vending machine sandwiches. And then he dunks the sandwiches in his tea in a porter cabin at tea break with horizontal sleet rain outside and a whiskey hangover. And he says his daughter also dunks pork pies into tomato soup. So what treats, what recovered memories. Cheers, guys. So that was lovely. And then meanwhile, Tea Cheesy gets in touch. He's in Sweden. And he says, in Sweden, the old timers dunk sandwiches in their coffee and tea. It's mainly just a re- regular cheese. Well, he says Sammy. I think he means Sarni. It's, yeah. reg- it's mainly just a regular cheese Sarni. The old timers did it, perhaps due to slightly dry three day old bread and then stuck with a habit. I don't see the younger generation doing it, but I used to do it as a kid. Give it a go. So that's exactly what we're going to do, so, isn't it? So all you guys listening, about an hour before this podcast, I get a text from Jay. Can you have a cheese or beef sandwich ready? Okay. Um, yeah, I can. I, so so I, I legged it to the local supermarket and I, try, I I bought, instead of a baguette, I bought a packet of French's, the Fra- France's equivalent to, I don't know, Mother's Pride, squidgy bread. And I, I couldn't, there's no... A, there's no cheddar. It's meant much cheese, but you have to go to a special fromagerie to get to get cheddar, I think. So I've got a slice of contal and I buttered it, but the butter was hard, so I squashed my bread. And so I've, I have a very simple cheese sandwich. I didn't. I've got I've got a range of teas, but I don't have English breakfast tea or Earl Grey or I, the closest thing I have is Rooibos Redbush tea, which does have a tea-like character to it, but it's technically not tea. So I've got it ready. Now, as you were talking, because I thought, dipping a cheese sandwich in tea? Hang on, and I've just got really excited about it. So Martin, I would have done beef, but at last minute, um, trying to get some cold roast beef in slices, was a, I didn't have enough time. So I'll put it on my list. So I ended up with the cheese. My tea's very lukewarm now because I made it just before we, we started. So I wonder if I should just put just, just touch up with boiling water. The reason I'm saying this is because a few years ago, um, we did uh, um, one of the concepts, this is one of the challenges that Top Chef France picked up on, was food pairing. So I came up with this concept that when you, if you think about a banana or a piece of cheese, it is a banana or a piece of cheese. In fact, when you start to zoom in, it's actually 
full of hundreds or if not thousands of tiny little particles that make up the texture, the flavor, the taste. And when you start to look at these particles, these, particularly the aroma molecules that are produced as a result of you know, what we do to our food, whether it's raw or cooked, and then you can find where are those, what other ingredients are those molecules in, and then you can start pairing them up. It doesn't always work, but it's a great um, mechanism or tool for creativity called food pairing. There is now a whole movement. There's a company called food pairing that, that came off the back of this. And that's the channel, one of the challenges we set the chefs in France. So they had four, they, they had four pairings, blue cheese and chocolate, um, banana and parsley, licorice and, and asparagus, and strawberry and black olive. We've done many of these. My, my, my excitement for this was trying, my, not excité, excitant, excité, my excitement. I bet the French would approve if you got sexually excited over that, though. Not consciously sexual, um, <laughs> was, was, was that people could discover flavour pairings that they would never have thought of gone together. Not designed to shock. It's like, oh, I've just had a new... I've discovered a new experience, a new thing, fireworks in my, in my mouth or in my emotion or in my response to what I'm eating. <clears throat> and in fact, I won't, go, I won't give anything away just for anyone that might be a chance of one in the middle of listening, <laughs> listening to this and watching Top Chef in France when it comes out. The winner did not like, they were given two ingredients to pair and they had to showcase. The, the winner had a phobia about one of the two ingredients he had to pair. And when he put it together, it just exploded. It, was, it, was, it, it did an incredible job. So I'm now going back to the cheese sandwich and tea. Cheese and tea are a magnificent combination. Incredible, incredible. So if, if you don't drink alcohol or if you just don't want to have any wine with your cheese, have it with tea. It's incredible. Really? It's an incredible combination, and and play around with it. It works. It works beautifully. Those crafty old Swedes are onto something, then, aren't yeah, they? I th- yes, I think so. You know, human beings are are, are intuitive old souls. Uh, but I've got butter in my sandwich, so I'm thinking about the dunking biscuits and melting chocolate. I want. I would like just enough heat in my tea to see if the butter softens, because I had really hard butter and nearly squashed my bread. Did you want to go and top it up with water? I'm just going to. I'm just going to press. Okay, the, I'll put some yeah. sleigh bells on while you disappear off, and you can okay. come back in a second by the magic of podcasting. He's back instantaneously. Back. It's not boiling, but I'm hoping it's warm enough to slightly soften my butter. Now I've gone. For, I'm being very European about this. I've gone for coffee because I thought I'd give it, and with a piece of cheddar and yeah. some brown bread. Dunk away. Here we go. Oh, you know what? I don't know if make the cheese pop. That made that cheese taste so strong. I've had a food pairing moment there. That I just dipping my, the tea was hot, was hot enough just to soften the butter. Now I, it hasn't, I wouldn't say it's made the cheese pop. What it's done, it's just everything's just, it just, it's like a night, oh, this is a really bad metaphor. 
No, that was bad. <laughs> go on, go with it. Oh, no. Cheesy metaphor, some might say. What? A, a cheesy metaphor. <laughs> yes, it, oh dear. Uh, I, could, I was just saying, a, a, a nice, beautifully knit Christmas jumper. But that doesn't really make any sense. Everything just seemed to really beautifully knit together. Even the bread, which is, when you first put it in your mouth, you're like, oh, soggy bread. But very quickly, it stops being bread and starts being something really nice. I'm amazed at this. I thought it'd be horrible. What cheeses did you go for? Cheddar for me, obviously. I got a sounds really pompous and posh, but I couldn't get cheddar, so I got a packet of sliced contal. The coffee, the, I just dunked it in my cold cup of coffee. That also works in a different Do way. You know what I mean, you can't really taste the coffee that much. Well, you might be no. able to, but the coffee disappeared, and I got just more sandwich. Thank you, Martin and Cheesy. I love discovering new things, and you have triggered my curiosity to discover something new that actually when i thought about it and as i did it kind of makes total sense but the beginning you think oh what? Ugh, that's not right there is no right or wrong in food that's I, I'm, well that won't be that will certainly not be the last time i'll be dunk, dunking cheese sandwiches in fact um, that might be more regular lunch yeah. Dear listeners, there's a lovely grin on Heston's face right now. That grin I've seen before when he discovers something that he's really intrigued with. And what I'm pretty sure now what you want to do is go off and make about 55 different cups of tea and try as many different uh, yeah. varieties as you can. Uh, yeah, yes. I've got, so, <laughs> I suppose the one thing with rooibos, it's relatively, it's earthy. You know, if you look at English breakfast or Assam, it's got a maltiness to it. Obviously, Earl Grey's got the bergamot fragrant orange flower water note to it. So yeah, playing around, playing around with uh, with different cheeses and different teas and coffees, and now I'm thinking, what else? What, what, what I just, what I would like to see if there are any more. It is the most unusual, initially sho- uh, the most unusual, initially shocking sounding dunking combination. We always need a a, um, a creative world dunking championship. Oh, come on then. To our, to, to, the, to our lovely listeners out there, let's get involved. I we could, send we could it do in. that and we could try it. We can try it. And I, and, let's and try just... it. We could, the, the whole world of dunking could be revolutionised. <laughs> so try Get in touch. Hestonspodcast.gmail.com at Hestonspodcast on Instagram. Uh, the challenge is as many uh, unusual and different and arresting and challenging dunking combinations as you can do please and also while you're there we would love it and appreciate it if you could subscribe to the podcast so you can you can hear what next we're going to be dunking and maybe leave a review or something nice like that consider it a christmas present cheap christmas present uh that would be great thank you because it does help the algorithms do something magical but we shall now leave our cheese sandwiches uh happily stewing in our cups of tea to move on to the main reason the main christmasy reason behind the podcast today which is a box of chocolates the ultimate sort of christmas gift and treat and today we're going to be delving into well i think probably one of the most iconic ones out there quality street and heston you have a uh, rather fancy quality street advent calendar there don't you i do i've never held one before i'm not sure Didn't i've ever existed <laughs> it is um it's a cardboard box with doors big, and windows yes yeah, pretty big and, there, and then there's a, there, it's numbered 1 to 24, and the numbers are kind of slightly random, so you have to do a little bit of work to find them. But I also think those random numbers sometimes can be an excuse. Why did you just eat three? Well, I wanted, I, I'm, we're on the seventh, and I couldn't, I, 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 I went <laughs> for the fourth it. first. 
<laughs> and that's the idea. I think what we're going to be doing now is we're just going to be indulging in Quality Street and exploring all the wonderful history of the chocolate box. So, Heston, while you start ripping open your uh, your advent calendar, James has got us a little bit of history on Quality Street so we can start off on the right foundation. James, where does Quality Street come from? Well, Quality Street in particular was created in about 1936 by the son of John McIntosh, who started the McIntosh uh, toffee chocolate business before that. But when he died, he handed the business to his son, who had already got a couple of interesting uh, confectionaries in the range and, and decided to, instead of opening a store, wanted to, to put them all in a in a tin and sell them. And, and I think he's a man after your own heart, Heston, because obviously he, he was tapping into nostalgia from the very beginning because the story of Quality Street and the theme of the box and the advent calendar is actually based around a play that was written by the, uh, the writer J.M. Barry, who um, created Peter Pan. And this play is about a Napoleonic soldier and a, and a, and a sort of love affair with a lady who is called Verity, I think. Uh, and, and anyway, so there's a, there's a various plot twists and everything, but really it's kind of, that time was very nostalgic for people of the 1930s. So he thought it would be a good theme for his chocolate box. But he also had the idea of, instead of putting it in cardboard, put it in a tin so that when you opened it, you got a burst of flavor instead of this kind of scented uh, chocolate smell through the, through the, the cardboard. So quite an extraordinary beginning really and heston you you well we together have delved into chocolate boxes uh, a long way back haven't we do remember when we were filming for fantastical feasts or fantastical foods there was we did chocolate the history of chocolate we made the world's largest chocolate bar remember that somerset house had to be forklifted in and and all the public (laughs) went mad chiseling these 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 squares of these squares of chocolate off the bar and each one contained a surprise and that's that was also a nod to the chocolate box so when we were in Bourneville we're in the library do you remember and they explained to us that I think the sort of the invention of the modern chocolate bar was was British and the invention of the chocolate box was British and it started off for some reason with dark chocolate but the chocolate they were beautiful little boxes that would have been made from wood or metal and it was somewhere where the, the, if you wanted to propose to your loved one, you'd, you, you'd put an engagement ring in the box. It was all about love, wasn't it? It was it about was, love. Was... And, that, and that sort of led to the, the um, that led to the, uh, I think that heavily influenced the um, all because the lady loves milk tray advert. Where the guy, remember that, the guy with a with with roller neck? black pullover <laughs> dives off a boat into shark infested water how he keeps the chocolate the, the cardboard box dry <laughs> i suppose he's got a cellophane Don't ask wrapper where he puts it. who knows and then he kind of yeah you said earlier he's like some kind of james bond stalker and then leaves the weird? box through the window with a little note like a valentine's i've been day. in your bedroom <laughs> <laughs> yes i left some chocolates i'm calling the i'm definitely calling the police i'm a bit wet <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and so, and then, so that, I think it was it was black magic and milk milk tray. Well, they became they came before Quality Street. So yes, I think, well, I think black magic. I think milk tray was the milk chocolate version of black magic. I think, and then Quality Street and Roses came after. But this for me, I don't know about you. The, the Quality Street for me, there's something about. I've, I haven't got the Avon calendar. I've got a box. I'm pouring mine out. Just when they come out, the colours. I don't know. It's just so 
nostalgic looking at them it's incredible and again this was another sort of idea of harold mackintosh he wanted each suite to have a brightly colored um wrapper so from the very beginning they always had these incredibly colorful multi-sensorial things going on he was he was a man of a of a of, a, of today's world harold mackintosh i think it's really interesting now, you've tried to recreate some of these over the years, haven't you, Heston? You, well, not recreate, sorry. You've tried to sort of pay homage to them. In that show specifically, you made you made some chocolates, didn't you? Well, we made, yeah, we, I remember we had a, was it a Black Magic box? Yeah, chocolate box a huge with a red box ribbon, of Black a Magic. A huge one that was standing upright in the, in, the, in, in the courtyard at Somerset House with a red carpet in front with a brass rail and some tables laid out with a bit like afternoon tea style and waiting staff dressed up with sort of very... Dicky bows and stuff and then the doors opened so imagine opening standing a chocolate box up on its side and then <clears throat> the lid was two doors that opened up and there was a bar behind there and we had violinists come out and people sat down to a romantic dinner uh, well a romantic afternoon tea full of chocolate and I remember we, we did an ox choc which was we've talked about before the first chocolate bar and we made this a box it was it was inspired by the jewelry boxes so it, it was made out of chocolate but it looked like it was made out of wood with gilt edging um hand painted writing on it so people could then eat the box and they opened the box and I remember we had four chocolates in there the one that i remember the most and was the most excited about doing was the purple one i don't think we could call it the purple one i think we had to call it the, the violet one and uh, there's you go that's it. Jay's just holding up said one. chocolate. And it was wrapped in tin, uh, like a very thin metal foil, silver foil, and a cellophane purple wrapper. Well, it had a Brazil nut inside. So we, we, I think either we did Brazil or we did hazelnut. And it was a, we put a salted butter caramel and, and, choc- and chocolate. But the, the difference is we made it with edible silver leaf. So we covered it in silver leaf and then the plastic cellophane was actually gelatine. So you ate the whole sweet. Suddenly these qualities look a bit rubbish. They're really modern sweets. And just every time you, you read a bit more about the history of, of Harold Macintosh, everything he, he did was really, I mean, he had the first twisty sort of wrapper machine. So that's why they're all like that. Cause he had a really, I don't know where he got it from somewhere from something else. So, so he had all these innovative ways of putting these things together. It's actually quite pioneering quality stream. Mm, absolutely. I mean, it is a multi-sensory thing. I mean, it is the colours, the sound of a tin. He wanted that smell that burst out of a, of a tin as you opened it, which he knew would come with a metal tin as opposed to a wooden box. And, you know, and obviously all the different shapes and colours and everything. It's very tactile, isn't it? You know, it's, and he, he had that vision. He was he was eventually knighted by and made a viscount and made it into a mint biscuit. Uh, viscount, <laughs> I don't know if he did viscount biscuits. Did he? Did they? God, that'd be amazing if he became a biscuit. If he became a viscount and made viscounts, his, the world his would be portrait complete. Portrait is not of a man who looked like he loved the joys of mucking around with coloured wrapping paper. Though he's a very stern-looking man. Oh my word! You know who he looks like? He looks like Robert Maxwell. Don't you think? Yeah. I can see that. He's even that. got the eyebrows. Oh, he does not look happy. So I remember when we were in the factory and we were, we were filming by the machines where they were, they, they were depositing funnels into the boxes. And they certainly weren't, weren't random. 
the, 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 obviously the variety is the variety, but some had one of, two of, three of, four of. And it struck me that the ones that people loved the most had the minimum number yeah, in the box. Yeah, why do you get these bloody ones, these flat gold ones that nobody likes? Because if you put the ones you don't like in there, it, it makes the ones you do like even more valuable. I bet it probably is, isn't it? They know the psychology well enough to be able to figure that much out with us. And Quite topically, today, obviously we're not, we're not broadcasting this today, and you might be listening to it in 17 years' time, but on this day... <laughs> it's optimistic. Um, <laughs> on this day pre Christmas... Previously, whereas we're sat here, the three of us... There <laughs> this was an obituary. We're listening to it 35 <laughs> years into the future. <laughs> so anyway, there is a journalist I've just come across on Twitter who's who's oddly decided to do an audit of his Quality Street tin um, and taken a picture of all the numbers of of different varieties he's had in it, which has spurned a bit of a thread on on his. And and it's interesting that you you pick up on the Toffee Penny because he's he's got the most number. I mean, he could work out a percentage. I think he... I think he does. He, he's saying he only got 5% purples and 11, oh, uh, 13% of the orange creams is kind of his sort of shortcut to, to stats. So there is a real imbalance between the varieties you get and other people's ones who've posted since that have a similar percentage. So it would very much back up your, your idea, Heston. That there is a, there's a plan here in the there's factory. There's a plan. It's the Illuminati. <laughs> the Illuminati of <laughs> quality street. <yeah. laughs> it's like the... There's never ever, I don't think there's ever one reason for something, but you can view this in, in at least from at least two different perspectives. You could be cynical and say, ah, they, they, why, they put the minimum of the ones that are the most special. They might be the most expensive to make or the, the ones that we love the most. And they put more of the ones that, you know, we go, well, they're the ones left in the tin. So at the same time, though, you can also say, if they didn't have those ones in the tin, well, if you want to buy a box of, of let's say, the, the, the purple ones, it's a completely different experience. You don't get quality street. Now, whether the whole street is quality or whether you know, there's a couple of run-down shops in it, <laughs> I don't know. I don't, so I don't the, the, know. The, the, the toffee ones are that, that family that nobody likes. Maybe, they, yeah, know, there's the a trouble, trouble family. Yeah, yeah they always play loud music way too late. <laughs> so come on what's in number one i'm curious to know which family is in number one in quality street yeah i've just got to find it first where did they put i wonder if there's any i wonder if there's any psychology yeah where do you top right i'm gonna go for is that the da vinci area no da vinci area that's really interesting you said that james because this might be coincidental the the the, the whole Think about a Fibonacci, which is the Nautilus shell. If they're using a Fibonacci sequence to position, that would be impressive. Num- it starts from the, always starts from the bottom left. Apparently, from paint, people that have done you know years and years of research on why why you know great paintings become great paintings and where does the eye move from. I spoke to somebody at the at the, at the Tate about this. So we're doing a lot of research with glasses that measure your eye movement. And in general, we start from the bottom left and we kind of go around in a spiral. So, Ooh. hang on a second, the Fibonacci sequence. No, do you know what I've just done? <laughs> this is hilarious. You've opened the 24th or something. No, I haven't. Actually, <laughs> I don't know if you can see this. Yeah. I thought this was number one. Hang on. Oh, is it number 11? 
Look, see that? Can you see that? Yeah. Is that the it's door a, handle? You it's the door handle. In the, I haven't done anything yet. It's the door handle in the same colour letters. That's actually number eight. You ever thought this would be so challenging? <laughs> just the discussion is interesting. So maybe it is random. I think I might have just overcomplicated. Uh, so where speaks. is number one? Where, where is number one? Hang on a second. <laughs> I it's going to be you... January, but... <laughs> I promise we haven't been on the Christmas tree just yet. I can't find it. Maybe... Ah, oh, yes, I've got it. 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 My God, it was... Okay, number one. Open number one. What's behind door number one? <sighs> Tense. I'd, I'd, I'd hedge my bet. I'd say if I was producing this box, I'd put one of my best ones out first. Boom, James. Oh, boom, James Winter. Get in there, my you son. Smashed it. It's you a purple one. Put the first one out best. Yeah. Okay, so now you need to go straight to number twenty-four. What's twenty-four? <clears throat> ah, so, so it's all, that... oh, well, it's going to be purple again. It should be purple, or, or maybe another another good one. Ah, oh, it's not the purple one. Oh, oh. So it's one below purple on the on Let's the ranking of quality. The um, the the gold. Oh, blue. Oh, what's, green? what's that? Oh, ah, it's a special a, one. Yeah, this. Ah, uh, you uh, see, they have put. I think oh. I haven't had this one. This sounds like a new edition uh, yeah. for me. A recent edition. Bra- it's chocolate <clears throat> caramel brownie. I think the psychology. The psychology that James was just talking about. I mean, unless unless my box is different to everyone else's, are the boxes random at the moment? That makes sense. You put you put a big one in the beginning and a big one in the middle. Mm, now I haven't had one of these. I'm oh, so chocolate caramel brownie because that wasn't around in the thirties, was it? So you've got that in your box of <clears> these. <throat> yeah, I'm just, got, I'm just eating along so with Heston. It must be a new addition to the. Yeah, it looks like a it looks like a walnut whip. Actually, it's got the fibula. It's the Nautilus. Have you seen the top of the chocolate? Are you? I've it. You've just eaten it. Hang on, look, look. It's like a Nautilus shell. Just what we've been talking. And it's got chocolate cake inside, is it? I've said it's it's very underwhelming that one. Oh, this is not sponsored by anybody. We're no, not sponsored we actually, by anybody on this. We so, went and bought these with our own money. If we were sponsored, we'd be saying really nice things about them. I don't know. I think. I think. I think it's. I think it would be up, up the top of the tree towards the the chocolates that the, the things that people would be happy or happier to eat or prefer to pay yeah. for. Yeah, I'm, I'm going for the purple one. Let's have a look there. Yeah, come on, let's have a look at this purple one that everyone goes on about all the time because I've never analysed it through the eyes of a multi Michelin starred chef. The, the shape, the shape on the outside is a bit like. Do you remember Terry's All Gold? The Terry, no, sorry, the Terry's chocolate. Or, oh, there's another chocolate box. Terry's All Gold. Cherry's all got that was Ooh. proper classy. That was that's what your parents gave each other at dinner parties. See the face you love light up with Terry's all gold. I was thinking of the chocolate orange ripply effect on the outside. Yeah. And James, yeah. James, you said it's what's in it's changed right over the years. Purple one was was a Brazil nut. I mean, it was built around the nut. Now it should be hazelnut, is it? It's hazelnut, and I wonder if that's because one Brazil nuts are more expensive than hazelnuts. But secondly. I think they've gradually made sweets, made things smaller. Well, it's easier than putting the price up. It's always hard, isn't it? I think that they were bigger before, but then if my memory was when I was a child, my hands are like 17 times bigger. No, I checked this when we were there. When we were filming with one of the factories, and I can't... I'll, I'll slander them all, so not one, any one particular one can sue me. Cadbury's, Nestle, Roundtree, one of them. I specifically said to them, and I have an inkling it was... Um, Cadbury's dairy milk mm. I said come on now come on now fess up it, and Cornetto's I asked the Walls lot as well I said they have got smaller right and they said oh yeah definitely they were completely matter of fact about that yeah yeah 
They said, what we do, that was it, Vianetta. We were doing Vianetta as well. Yeah, I, I said, Vianetta, it's got less swirls and less chocolate. It's got smaller. He said, yeah, what we do is we make them smaller until people complain. And then we know we've gone too far and we make it a bit bigger again. <laughs> fair, <laughs> fair enough. I mean, they've got, they got a bit there. I mean, they're running a business at the end of the day. I miss the, um, the Montelimar Nougat. That's the one that I, I, I used to hate. And then I learned to love it. And then was they that, took it Was away. that in Quality Street? It was in Quality Street. It was for kind of nougat with the bits of nuts and nuts and fruit. Yeah, we started off with a with an interesting theory of um, let, let's put your big hitters at the beginning and the end. So where where is the where is the where's the illustrious flat gold toffee one? Yeah, I mean that's going to be. I would think. Ah, maybe maybe they they could bring that straight after the first one. So should we look at number two? Yeah, go for number two. No, we're caramel swirl. So it's similar shape to the chocolate brownie with a little swirl on top. Oh, I was drawn to this because it's nice and gold, oh, yeah. this one. one. Have a go at this. I, I'd wager this will be nicer than the brownie one. It's basically the same as the brownie. The only difference is the brownie has chocolate in the caramel. It's exactly the same. Are these hard to make, do you think? Are they hard to... Well, no, they're not hard to make, but... In order to develop them, it's like anything. When you mass produce something, it's got to have shelf life, go and get packaged, travel in one piece, uh, go into the stores, and it has to last. So you don't want, for example, the chocolate to crystallise or bloom. When, when chocolate blooms, it, I don't know if you've ever seen this. If you a bar of chocolate, it's like covered in grey. It's not mouldy. It's like it's you've lost the shiny brown surface it's what i think of american chocolate as yeah that's that bloomed that's bloomed chocolate so it starts to it starts to crystallize so they have to they have to stop all those sorts of things plus the caramel they make when they fill the chocolates for example there's many more there's many other challenges but the caramel in order for for it to be soft you know what they've got a there'll be lots of technical technical challenges while they're on the getting it set up for the production line so you want the caramel to come out really soft, nice and easy, not too hard, because otherwise it'd be hard to pump it into the chocolate shells. But you don't want to melt the chocolate, for example. So by the time they come to physically manufacture it, they've done all the they've done all the hard work. That's why these these well, we've been we've been in enough factories, and I I love going to food factories because you can see all these robots do all these things. Oh my god, how do they think of that? It's amazing. And the timing of putting the right thing at the right, yeah, all the different layers. So at the moment, the three, we've had three, we've had three very similar chocolates. The difference is that they've all, um, all those, those three chocolates are all milk chocolate casings with caramel centers. One of the caramel centers being chocolate in the brownie. One of them just being a caramel, well, being a caramel center, but caramel without chocolate, just plain caramel. And the other one is a bit of caramel with a hazelnut in it. They're basically, that they're very similar chocolates. Okay, so I think what we do is, I think in terms of the time we've got left, and time has flown on this one, we've got time for one more of your advent calendar. Okay. Now, while you're rummaging around to find the next one you're going to do, I'm going to have a quick mention to our dear listeners. The way it works in podcasts is we have a publisher, a company which helps put us out there to different platforms. They're called Audio Boom, And they do a survey which... Um, well, the reason we think you might be interested in it is because there's a prize, 50 quid Amazon prize to win on it. But also it helps them understand who listens to podcasts and how they listen to it. Um, and it'll be really useful to them if you don't mind uh, quickly popping onto their 
survey and just filling it in and letting them know what kind of podcast you like so they can make sure that they back more people to make podcasts and put them out there. So if you could go to um, audioboom.com forward slash survey, that would be wonderful. Um, Heston, where are, what number are we going for as your final chocolate choice? Number nine. It's going to be a toffee finger. Two old ladies, number nine. I've got the orange. Oh, it's not an orange cream anymore. It's not an orange cream anymore. It's a, this is a, this is a, it shows how how much more refined we've become. Orange chocolate crunch. Well, Heston tries his orange chocolate crunch. I will give us a uh, a little preview of next week. So after we've all managed to stagger our way through Christmas, we will be back in your podcast inbox on the Monday after Christmas. And we would love you to join us because we're going to be continuing the great tradition of having an Ashes event uh, post Christmas, England versus Australia, but we're not playing cricket. We're playing chocolate bars. One of our wonderful listeners has managed to send us in a whole array of Aussie chocolate bars that Heston and I have never seen or tried before. And we're going to be pitting the very best of England against the very best of Australia uh, in a just a chock off. So do join us for uh, that next week if you make it through Christmas without too many quality street induced problems. Uh, Heston, how is the uh, how is the orange crunch? It's okay actually. It's praline basically. So when you take sugar and you can you make so into caramel and you pour it onto a sheet it goes hard it's brittle it's like a, a brittle but like an orange flavored brittle in a chocolate center that's that's not quite as hard as the casing but i'd say about 90 percent of the texture it sounds like we should be an advert for for, for quality streets but that we could <laughs> easily have given them a complete and utter hiding so it just so happened i'm the the first four that we pulled out i can give this box to my mother-in-law now and on that chocolate-covered bombshell, <laughs> Heston, James, I wanted to wish you both a very Merry Christmas. I hope you have a wonderful day, and to all of our dear listeners as well. But I'm afraid that's all we have time for this week, so we can go off and binge eat the rest of these chocolates off air. Me? I'm dun- I'm, I'm cheese dunking. <laughs> yes, you're cheese dunking. I'm cheese sandwich dunking. I will see you in a week's time for the ashes. Happy Christmas. <laughs>